0: Welcome back to the pedestrian podcast another week, another episode. Myself Stuart Court and Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? I'm
1: good. Slight concerns uh in that. I don't know if you guys have seen the end of Goodfellas, but we appear to have that kind of helicopter going <laughs> over the house. Now I haven't been shipping cocaine and robbing German airplanes <laughs> and all that kind of stuff as far as I know. But if they burst through the house, then clearly I'll I'll, I'll have fucked it. So once keep an eye on, but the helicopter's still there and I am doing that sort of look out the window a la Rayleigh Otter on a regular basis to see if they're after me. But I think I think I'm in the clip. Cool, good to know. But I've actually have... never seen good fellas. Uh, no way. I I, I kind of that
0: feeling that, that might, might be coming. I think I've only seen it
1: once. Right. Hang on, hang on. Let's do this properly. Let's introduce Stuart. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're all friends, but let's do it properly, and then we can get into the, um, big, the important stuff.
0: Joining us ourselves, uh, one of our good pals, one of the one of our favourites to have on the party. He didn't jump on last week because he was chumming it down in the sunshine in LA. Is that where the his meetings are? Uh, they were in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. Oh, Florida, It's a completely wrong side of the country. Uh, Mr. Bonny Athletic, Mr. Michael Sean Duggar, how are we,
1: sir? What up, guys? How's it going? Go, Adam. So you've never seen Goodfellas, but you love, like, the heist movie stuff. like that, it, Is that a heist movie? I didn't I know mean, that. Not, I mean, it's like mafia robberies and stuff. I think you'd love it.
2: I'm not a mafia movie guy, so to speak, but I think that part of that, this is a really deep answer, But part of that is because whenever I watch movies about gangsters wearing like suits or doing like corporate gangster stuff or just like, (laughs) it just kind of frustrates me that like, there's then this stereotype that like gangsters look like black people and Mexican people wearing the pants saggy with bandanas and stuff like that. When it's like all of this documentation to show that the biggest gangsters have always worn suits you know they've always looked at they haven't had tattoos and bandanas and worn certain type of sneakers no they'll they'll show up to you in a three thousand dollar armani suit and kill you and then blackmail your family and then move a bunch of drugs and then black you know blackmail somebody else you know that's the biggest gangsters it's almost like why i don't like baseball fights because whenever they fight in in baseball there's not like these think pieces about whether the players are thugs you know (laughs) one football player throws a punch or something like that then it's like this big thing so that's i think that's why as i've gotten older i haven't cared much for like gangster movies that uh or mob or mafia like stuff that is entertaining that i probably like i just kind of have like this kind of side hate for for that it's almost jealousy like how come you guys get to be who you want to be and no one like makes this grand statement uh about who you are as a people or something like that but yeah i probably would like it if it was a heist movie i definitely would have seen it i'm pretty sure i've seen every heist movie that's worth a damn of that's made been made in america in the last 30 years on this heist binge that i've been on yeah
0: like it's like cuz of muzone is the only like gangster in a suit i can think of who was black like in the wire the guy
2: who in the wire yeah yeah but i was like the first scary scare well, the the thing that the wire did really good though was yeah there was gangsters moving drugs and dressed in a certain way and talking a certain way but they had context to them mm-hmm. like you understood kind of how they got down the way they got down either from whether it was brother Malzone or whoever to 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 Stringer or even just the little gangsters on the corner you know Bodie or like that they all every character there had some had life and context to them whereas like now you'll just see like stereotypical Mexic- Mexicans or black people, you know, hood gangster stuff. And it's like, and I guess <laughs> like it did like the the way the dress code of the NBA came about in like the mid 2000s. It was like, come on, they did that because there was there was too much of a gangster image associated, quote unquote, gangster image with the NBA. Whereas like, I don't know, man, biggest gangsters in the history of America have been guys in suits. Yeah, and that's still the case now. It's not dudes wearing the saggy pants.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. Right. Uh. Slight tangent.
0: Uh. Sorry about that. It's okay. No. But we're, there's we're, not, we're, there's we're, not. There's not know. much to talk about. No. But what? Not a lot. Not Not lot's changed since the season finished. Um. So we, we've done a couple of pods. Um. Well, I've done a couple of pods. I have not did the last one where he just kind of. A bit rambly, but it's, people seem to enjoy it. I mean, we've got loads of Jack Leach and Sakiba Mood pictures sent. <laughs> well, not loads, just more than probably I expected. Um, so what, what, what's your take on... In Obviously, you've potted, you've wrote an absolute shit and you've been on around the NFL talking about Mike, but um, what's your take on everything that went down, what, a month ago
2: now? Would that just be Russ, Bobby? Well,
0: everything, because um, it's, it's, it's a proper shapeshift of like the franchise's path has kind of been shapeshifting substantially, isn't it?
2: Yeah. I think, um, when, when I first got here was 2017, 2017 season, obviously it didn't make the playoffs, right? I feel like I was like the bad luck charm. As soon as I show up, um, this historically like dominant team just falls apart. (laughs) And Pete kind of doubled down on himself that off season, fired Chris Bashard, fired Daryl Bevel, fired Tom Cable, um, those were the most significant moves. I think he brought on Clint Hurt, I think, that offseason, maybe. No, 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 Clint might have been already on. But like it, it was very much like, all right, doubling down on me, got rid of Michael Bennett, got rid of uh, Richard Sherman, uh, made very clear they weren't going to pay Earl. Um, I, I, they lost Cam and Cliff Averill uh, for reasons they couldn't control. But it really felt like, all right, Pete's like, this is a gamble on me, but because he still had Bobby, he did still have Earl. He did still have Doug. Um, obviously he still had Russell. There was a little bit more of like, all right, the core is still here. Um, whereas now I think the guy who's been on the team the longest is what Tyler I think that's like seven, he's like on year eight or something like that. Uh, it, it just feels more like, uh, and I was, I might write this too, at some point, this is really a gamble of Pete on himself. In like the, the most riskiest way possible for Pete to be like, trust in me. I got this. Give me the draft picks. Give me the cap space, him and John. But because Pete's above John, I'm just going to start staying at the top. Give me the draft picks. Give me the cap space. You know, I will rebuild this thing. Give me my coordinators. Um, I, I will do this the right way. When, and I've pointed out a million times, there's really no reason to believe in that bet you know like he is pete is doubling down on a philosophy on a free agent strategy on a draft strategy um yeah offensive philosophy that he's been a little bit more flexible on defense but everything else is like all right the way that i want to do this is the right way to go hop on this boat and ride off with me and it's like i guess right so far there's, there's, like, clearly John Snyder's on the boat. Clearly Jody Allen's on the boat. And there's, like, probably a large section of the fan base who, like, really only consumes their news from, like, I don't know, maybe just the games themselves and maybe a news telecast that's local. Like, they're not too deep into the weeds. And that, that group is, like, on the boat. Everyone else, I feel like, is like, dude, I'm not hopping on that boat with you. We're going to freaking drown uh, eventually. Like, there's going to be a hole in the boat, and you're not going to agree on how to seal it up. You know, we're going to be treading water until we sink. Like, I think the gamble that Pete has asked everyone to like ride with him on is kind of is interesting. That's not like good or bad necessarily, because I can see why he wants to do that. It's like this is his last coaching job he's going to have, right? 70, right? So for him, it's not like he's setting himself up to be, you know, maybe get another job down the line. Or if this fails, he can just go back to coaching. It's like, nah, like he is willing to go down with that sinking ship. You know, doing it his way. And I can kind of understand that from his perspective, I can put my Pete hat on and be like, I can see why Pete sees some of this in a certain way and doesn't have enough people around him to maybe push back with valid arguments. Because I could push back on everything Pete believes in for the most part with some valid critiques. And he, maybe he hears those, maybe he doesn't, but a lot of what he's asked us to believe, like where he's asked us to believe in it blindly Like believe if you give me a top 10 pick, I'll get it right. Believe if you give me two top 50, uh, three top 50 picks this year, I'll get them right. Believe that while the rest of the league is like throwing it all over the yard, I can win running the rock. Like believe that I can do all of the, I can zig while everyone else is zagging. I can magically start drafting well again. All of that is just without evidence for the most part. Like, that's where it gets me like the individual transactions, we can get into some of those, but like in terms of a kind of a thirty thousand foot view, Pete is asking us to believe in him. And it's like cool, I guess. Like I don't have any choice. I gotta cover it regardless. But like if I was a fan, that would be a really, really tough sell, particularly when I look at the state of the roster and how other teams have made their teams better. Whereas Pete and John just don't seem to have Obviously, made strides. Like, I can name a ton of teams that I think have got like markedly better in the past month. Whereas the Seahawks, I feel like the coach is just asking us to stay there at the craps table
1: with him while he just rolls all night and hope that we go home with money in our pockets. Yeah, I mean, so much has happened this offseason that, you know, there's no point in saying what's the biggest story in Seattle, in your opinion, because obviously, when a quarterback moves, that's always going to be the biggest story. But if we look at the bylines of each of the stories, Like, what's the biggest byline or thing that you've taken away? For me, the biggest thing is that basically Pete Carroll won a power struggle against Russell Wilson in the eyes of Jody that basically goes against all conventional wisdom in the NFL right now that, you know, franchise quarterback is thing one, two, and three that you need to win. Um, And so many people appear to have just gone along with it. Like we had on our UK Facebook group today a post that someone said, well, you know, Russell Wilson didn't want to be in Seattle, so it's better off that he's gone. But as I said to Stuart last week, I don't think Russell Wilson got bored of the food in Seattle. And it wasn't like the skyline that he got bored of. It was Pete Carroll. And for me, that by, is by far the biggest story. It might be like a defining story in franchise history that the coach beat the quarterback in a, in a power struggle and God knows where that going to leave us.
2: Yeah, and, and he, he doesn't have the track record, I think, for just to blindly believe in that. I think that's where it's, yes, all of that. But it, like, if Andy Reid was like, hey, I'm kind of done with this like Mahomes guy. I like this insert random kid. Andy's got such a good track record with quarterbacks like Kevin Cobb, Donovan McNabb, Michael Vick mahomes even alex smith so many guys have been their best version of themselves under him that if andy is crazy as good as mahomes is if andy's like yeah there's this new kid from coming out of new mexico that i really like let's move on from mahomes and his salary i could see the the uh what's the family i think it's the hunt family that owns the the chiefs being like okay andy we we believe in you like it's a risk but we believe in your track record he doesn't have that though like so yeah like quarterback is everything like, look at the division Russell just joined. Vic Fangio got asked, I think, like, why haven't – they've lost to the Chiefs a million times in a row. And Vic eventually was just like, guys, everyone else in the division has a quarterback. <laughs> we don't. And then they've, Vic got fired. Uh, it's like, yeah, quarterback is one, two, and three. But if you have a good enough track record with the quarterbacks, then maybe I can rock with you. Like, Andy has a good um, – a pretty good track record there. I don't know if it's, a, like, a strong track record in Baltimore, but, like, uh, John made the pretty decent tran- transition from Joe to Lamar um, you know, and even has looked like semi-decent with the Lamar's backup the past couple of uh, times that I've seen him play. Like there's been, there are guys who like, if you tell me, even Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan is like, like he is now. Hey guys, I'm about to mortgage the future for this Trey Lance kid. Roll with me. Okay. Kyle, I believe in you. Matt Ryan's never looked as good as he did when you had him. Right, like that. I can buy that. But Pete, that's where Pete, I think, is different. He's a defensive minded coach kind of asking for the benefit of the doubt that an offensive minded guy would be granted. And that's where it's risky. Like any coach is a risk to believe in. Like every coach is largely tied to how good they can make a quarterback or find a quarterback. Largely, like look at the guys who get fired in the league. Mike McCarthy, notwithstanding of all the recent fires, usually it's guys who didn't have a good quarterback or tied themselves to one and he stunk. I like him, Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers was a little different in Green Bay. Uh, but for the most part, guys who get the boot usually didn't win enough games, largely because their quarterback situation was awful. Mm. Like Pete's like signing up to be in quarterback limbo <laughs> at a time when teams are giving up multiple third round picks to pay Carson Wentz twenty eight million dollars. Like that's the state of the quarterback market. Meanwhile, Pete's signing up to join that. Him and John. I said we I guess we cannot exclude John from this as well. That is a wild gamble. Such a wild gamble from the like this particular front office considering their draft history, trade history, free agent history. Whew, like that's asking a lot of us to just have this blind faith. And I, yeah, that's if it works out good for them, but like the Vegas odds would be on a new regime being in place in twenty twenty three if history is to be predictive here. Mm. And especially when the quarterback class
0: collegiately come into the draft isn't it's at its weakest for three, four years, really, isn't it? Because obviously everyone's been talked up because they realize they have people we want, they want people to watch the draft in a few weeks. But this draft class at quarterback is, is far more question marks than sure things.
2: Yeah, well, I think. Part part of the draft thing for me, and I don't, you guys know, I don't watch a ton of college football. You know, I'm traveling on Saturdays a lot of the time. Um, And when I'm not traveling, I'm watching WSU football, right? So that takes up, you know, a good part of my day emotionally and like in terms of my (laughs) attention span as well. So I can only handle so much college football. But in general, I feel like when it comes to quarterbacks in particular, we are overlooking like the influence that situation that you go to has on a lot of these quarterbacks and there's so much context that goes into just beyond the film, like what they're asked to do. Like we're getting a little bit better with that. Like people are interviewing the OCs and getting behind the scenes and like, okay, what is Desmond Ritter really being asked to do? What is Trey Lance really being asked to do? What was this offense doing? Blah blah blah. But like it just I don't get too caught up in the hype of any given class. You know, I know that like there are some people I trust that when they like a guy you know, I may lean towards them, you know, shout out to Nate Tice that uh, we just hired at the athletic. Like he's a former, a uh, former quarterback, son of a coach, you know, like he knows court. Like, so if he likes a guy, like he really liked Justin Fields, I think. So I'm like a little bit more inclined to lean into it, but I'm like, that doesn't mean anything, you know, at the end of the day. So I, I think we got to be real careful with that. Like that 2021 class did not come out of the gates, killing it. Like quiet is kept Davis Mills was about as good as any of them, uh, last year really. And he was what a third round pick. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Mac Mac Jones was like solid. Um Trevor Lawrence was in a you know a burning building, you know, and everyone <laughs> else is everyone else was either hurt or their situations were mishandled. So like who who knows? It's like Russ was the best quarterback in the twenty twenty twelve class. You know, Dak is the best quarterback in the twenty sixteen class. Uh the best quarterback in the twenty seventeen class went with the twelfth pick or something like that. That's Mahomes. Uh so you just never you never really know with, with these classes. I think the, the, the thing that really gets a lot of these guys is going to somewhere where their, their skill sets aren't maximized, the offensive situation is bad. You know, there's, there's like Some guys are built to overcome a bad situation, like Kyler Murray. Arizona was trash, and he came in there and just still balled out. Whereas like if Baker would have went there, he'd have just been garbage from the jump and just stayed very garbage, like unplayable. You know, same thing with all these guys who've been going to the Jets. So I, I'm not as like down on the class as or on, on any class really. Like just because there's so much context as to you know what situations they go into, and you know just because we evaluate a guy and rank these guys one, two, three, or whatever. I mean, remember like Baker was kind of a surprise pick. As the number one guy in 2018, it was a lot of Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen back and forth at that time. I, you know, I'm a Pac-12 guy, so I remember that pretty vividly and thinking neither one of those guys is that good. You know, Wazoo beat them both. <laughs> you know, we weren't that good. So I was very confident that Sam Darnold in particular wasn't very good. Like then Baker comes, right? Turns out the best guy was Josh, you know, or maybe Lamar, one of the two. You know, Lamar was a 32nd pick or whatever. So even when the it's not like John Snyder told me in the press conference, uh, after I traded Russ and what he reminded me of at the owners meetings, like just because people say like have an opinion of a class and it's kind of the consensus doesn't mean anything. You know, I just read a story. Let's see, two, two days ago, kind of relooking at that 2011 class, that Sports Illustrated cover that had what Blaine Gabbard, Cam Newton and Jake Locker on the front. They were you know, two of those guys were absolute trash. <laughs> You know, Cam ended up being the guy. So you never. the Long story short, I I just I'm I don't rule out that this class could be great. It could stink too, but like just because everyone's not as high, you, just, you know, you just never know.
0: Uh, you you said on your pod a few weeks ago, I think in the direct aftermath of the Wilson trade, that if they draft a guy, they have to, they can't do what Chicago did with Justin Fields and kind of not give him every opportunity from day one. They have to do that. So if they draft one in the first in the first 40 picks and they've got three picks now that is the guy isn't it if they take someone that early
2: i would hope so i just think that and I, as you guys when i explained it on the pod i just really think that people are not seeing how flawed the process has been on a lot of these teams the chargers are getting i don't know i don't cover the chargers but i they're not, from what i can tell not getting nearly enough like credit for being more lucky than good Tyrod had to almost die pregame for them mm-hmm. to start Justin Herbert in the middle of the season. That is not a good process. They got very lucky. That doc doesn't puncture Tyrod's lung or whatever it was. Justin probably sits the whole year, and they never know that they have a budding star on the roster that they just took fifth or sixth overall or whatever. That was bad process. They got lucky. You know, um, Justin Fields, I think, ended up playing this year because Andy got hurt, hurt his ankle or something. Uh, I think Tyrod got concussed, which is how uh, Baker ended up. Who was the number one pick? Baker didn't even start. Deshaun Watson started, I believe, behind Tom Savage week one um, and got – I think Tom got benched at uh, halftime against the Jags in their opening game, and Deshaun then came in. Like, these are all bad process – processes, I think, is the grammatical way to say that. But, like, I think teams should really avoid that, and it's so obvious because every time I say that, people point to the Mahomes thing. It's like, I don't even think that was great process. I, I'm, like, pretty sure rookie Mahomes would have been better than 2017, Alex Smith. Mahomes is a phenomenal, and Andy Reid is a genius. So I don't, I'm not, I don't buy the notion that just because Mahomes sat behind Alex for 17 games or whatever, that's why he won MVP in 2018. Like remember that that Chiefs team I think lost to the Titans in the playoffs the year that uh, Marcus Mariota threw like a touchdown pass to himself on accident And they were <laughs> up like 18 at the time. Mm. And they blew that lead i'm pretty sure at home like Mahomes' team maybe wins that game even as a rookie so uh i think that people really overlooking the process of how important it can be to just all right you took trevor lawrence you took zach wilson i talked to my home dj the enemy that covers the jets too like the way they're doing it with zach is right take him at two make him qb1 right there dead all this compete stuff no he's your guy give him give him the starters reps give him the playbook Make sure he knows the starting center. Make sure they uh, he's got the communication and timing with the starting receivers. Give him all of those. Give him a year or two. And if he stinks, you will know. You won't have to guess. Like the Dolphins were in a very weird place coming out of their Tua's first year because they only had seen Tua for like six, seven games on purpose. They started Ryan, 50-year-old Ryan Fitzpatrick on purpose. you know. And then it was like, oh, it's the bye week. Let's throw Tua out there. Oh, it's the end of the year. We don't know what Tua is. Well, no shit because you started him half the year in the name of a guy you knew wasn't the guy. So I just think that there's no one can ever point to me. An example under this new CBA started in 2011. There's no good examples of actively starting a guy, you know, is not the guy while you have the potential future dude on the bench. No, one's ever done that correctly. The closest thing you get is Mahomes and Alex. And I still contend that that's not even, that wasn't the best process. Uh, I worked out ultimately, but again, just like the Chargers, I don't think that was a good process. So yeah, if the Seahawks take Malik Willis, Matt Corral, um, Desmond, Cincinnati, like whoever you take, give him the keys, let him drive. If he crashes the car, cool. We got insurance, get a new car, another driver. But don't just let him ride passenger when you have no idea whether he can drive.
0: Mm.
2: You don't learn anything. It's been a year not knowing if he can drive. So I just think that that's that's the process you have to do. And the the people overlook the fact that like, when you do that, you start a guy his whole year, you're either going to learn that he stinks or learn that he's Justin Herbert. It's like That's that's great. That intel is very important. The worst thing you can do is start like a Geno Smith, who's in year 10 or whatever, start him, go 5-12 and 12 or whatever. After you've drafted Malik Willis, you get all the way to the 2023 Senior Bowl and you have no idea whether you should be looking at quarterbacks or not. You have no idea whether you should be looking at uh cj stroud or bryce young or whoever because you just basically drafted a really highly paid practice player you know i just don't i just think that's really bad process when you have the rookie wage scale the way it is these guys are so cheap relative to the rest of the position that like you're you're that's organizational malpractice damn near to sit a french a potential franchise quarterback in favor of an andy dalton type
1: yes especially as you're going to be bad anyway it's not like it's win the Super Bowl or start this guy. It's, you know, win seven games or start this guy.
2: Yeah, like the Bears. The Bears last year. What did you yeah. gain from starting Andy Dalton? What, yeah. what was the point? What was the point yeah. of starting? Like, uh, what's his name? Matt Nagy. Matt, you were going to get fired. <laughs> you are going to get fired. if you... Well, here's the thing. Actually, he wasn't guaranteed to get fired. If he did, Let's say he gave Justin the keys and Justin balled out that could have saved Matt's job. You know who guaranteed who was guaranteed not to save Matt's job was Andy Dalton, you know, like that, that was the, the, the problem there. Like there were so many teams that passed on quarterbacks in this last draft. Anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that during last year's draft, every pick, I was basically copying the same tweet. I was just like, so-and-so must really hate Justin Fields or Mac Jones. If they're going to pass on a quarterback in favor of whoever they had Panthers, Broncos, um, Lions, uh, think Giants, all these teams just kept taking position players and linemen. And I was like, guys, you all need quarterbacks. You're all going to get fired if you don't have quarterbacks. (laughs) And a lot of, and DJ got fired. Matt Rule. Yeah, like, see who got fired. Like, Vic Vic Fangio got fired. Yeah. The Giants coach is out of there. Uh, Matt Rule's on his last leg. Uh, If this doesn't work out, he's gone. Um, And then Dan Campbell probably has a, like, a year, maybe figure this out. But if you trot Jared Goff out there again and you stink again, how much longer should they ride? That it's yeah, it's just foolish to me that these guys aren't taking a quarterback every year. When, like I said earlier, if you don't have one, eventually you will get fired. That's a yeah. it's the, That's that's the only guarantee in football other than injuries is that yeah. if you don't have a quarterback for long enough, you get fired. Yeah, and then you got the Colts approach, which just trade for whoever's
0: left. In uh, mid 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 to late March, which is basically what they've done for, for
2: well since Andrew Luck retired, isn't it? Really? Jacoby. Yeah, they've had like a different uh, week one guy for like the past six years or something yeah. like that. five or six years. Yeah, which is, in um, a row, which is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of money. Uh, you, you you talked about how uh, Clinton
0: Hurt and the defensive staff may be showing that Pete's going to be a bit more flexible on that side of the ball. If he is, sure that makes the decision. The other decision they made about a month ago to cut loose bobby wagner somewhat stranger doesn't it because obviously you need someone who is so tuned in with everything this this team this defense is about keeping him around to tell the young guys around him even at the clip he was on would have made way more sense than letting him get pretty much exactly the same money in the same division
2: yeah it's not the same money um but I didn't see value in getting rid of Bobby for nothing. That just, I, 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 try, I try to make that argument very clear every year. Like I, there, there are players that I like some players I'm indifferent on some players. I dislike that independent of that. I just think you should always have a plan. If you get rid of a, an, an objectively good player, like Richard Sherman, even off the Achilles was an objectively good player still. He was good in 2018. He made the pro bowl in 2019 on one of the best defenses in football. Um, like, but to cut him for nothing, I just thought that was stupid. Um, there's just so like that, that part of it is kind of like the Frank Clark trade. While it ultimately didn't work out that well, the process was fine. We're going to get, a, we're going to lose our best pass rusher. We're going to get a first round pick to potentially draft another pass rusher. Process is fine. Execution was poor. Uh, ended up drafting LJ Collier. But I think that to, to cut a Bobby to just let earl thomas walk you know i I just to cut sherm to get only a fifth round pick for michael bennett like these things like sure these are all icons but independent of that you got nothing you got nothing for them in terms of how it fits the the scheme i just i don't have much of a i don't have anything like i could report or confidently say it does i am intrigued by how much power it does seem that like john seems to have this offseason like no one's saying it out loud but like pete keeps intimating it like i had no intention of trading russ okay so john hasn't never said that right so did john get him out of here um you know even pete talking about bobby was like i didn't want that to happen okay well then was that john you know because you're the boss pete i have to remind you of that um there was another move in there i was uh thinking of but like, John has pretty much made it clear, like, we weren't going to offer Bobby a restructure. There was, n- he said, us at the owner's meetings. No, we won't bring him back at a cheaper deal, even though we've already cut him. You know, Pete's like, oh, I love the guy. Like, I went back and watched Pete's uh, quote from New Year's Eve. Uh, he was just like, yeah, I don't know why we would even think about not having Bobby next year. <laughs> then he's gone. Right, so I'm like, in my mind, I, I kind of put all that together. I'm like, well, okay, who is running the show? Like, or does Pete have these thoughts and then lets John convince him? Like, nah, dude, like, we can't. You love this guy but no like put your executive hat on take your coach hat off maybe that's just as simple as what, what's going on which would make sense part of the partnership but it does seem interesting that like pete has these guys that he doesn't want to lose and he ultimately has the veto power in theory for this exact moment for john to be like no dude i'm the gm maybe so pete can also like no, no no but i'm vp of personnel or whatever so i am i am intrigued by that because otherwise it doesn't really make sense that Pete didn't want to lose any of these guys. Then they're losing these guys. (laughs) You know, what, what, what sense does that make? You're the, you're the boss for, for a reason. Uh, so like, I am like, like personally sad to see Bobby go, a cool guy, you know, one of the best athletes I've ever covered person player combination out of this world, but independent of that. Yeah. I just don't really, I don't really get the vision here. I don't, I don't understand losing Bobby for nothing cutting him you don't even get a comp pick in the future because he was cut it was just same thing with sherm i just don't really that was that is my gripe as much as anything also john snyder's excuse for um not like not not communicating with him referencing that bobby is his own agent it's completely irrelevant completely irrelevant that makes the conversation even easier you mean, there is no buffer call him yeah. You don't have to play telephone. You have his number. Like, <laughs> you know, when John said that in the press conference, I would have pushed back if we were like, I like got the owner's meetings. We were sitting at a table uh, in the courtyard of the hotel that the uh, meetings were at. So it was a little bit more intimate. We could have like more of a dialogue in a press conference setting. It's not really my place. to just keep like challenge John's like my opinion on something. Now, if a fact is wrong, yes. But like, I just personally thought like, John, that's stupid. Like if Bobby's his own agent, call him. Say, hey, Bobby, we're probably not going to bring you back this year. We're thinking about trading you, but, you know, we can also do a solid and cut you so you can find your own spot. You know, how, how do you want to go about that? Bobby would have been very upset. And then Bobby would have put his agent hat on and done business, you know, and they know that because they've done business with him as an agent. So, yeah, I just thought that that, that part I had a gripe with. Um, but over, like overall, the vision is just very confusing. I don't really even know who's in charge with some of these transactions with Pete's making clear he didn't want them to
1: happen. Mm-hmm. That's basically I was going to what- say, sorry to that but thinking back to after the Rams playoff loss last year, I remember coming away from it and Pete said, you know, I've got my guys that we'll talk to and John's got his guys that he'll talk to. And it felt like there was like a fissure in that relationship. And it wasn't sort of PCJS as much as like PCJS, like in, in, in relation to how those two were working. Obviously, no one knows what went on. At, Project Vulcan headquarters, the Evil Empire, when they had that, you know, meeting at the end of the season. But it kind of feels like Pete's had some of his power checked from 12 months ago, because it feels like Schneider is making more decisions now. And 12 months ago, it felt like Pete was, you know, King, Queen, Jack, 1098 8 of, of, of the operation. And it feels like maybe there was, you know, the, the only allowance Pete had to make to, to keep his job was to, hand a bit of power back to Schneider. I mean, is there anything in that? Because otherwise I don't really understand how the the power structure is working. Yeah, that's it. And I don't really have a good answer for that. I will say my theory there is
2: it it could be that the power gets checked or that he makes a conscious decision to just defer a little bit more. And I, I, I kind of theorize that because it's happened in the past. Uh, I, I might've mentioned before, I don't know if I've said this on Seahawks, on Man, Seahawks Man to Man before we've written it, I think once somewhere that like John really wanted like Andy Dalton in that 2011 draft. And nobody was really trying to hear that. Um, Not enough (laughs) to take him, you know, in the first round, I think they didn't take him James Carpenter. And I think the next year John really wanted Russ. Uh, And I don't think initially everyone was sold on doing that. Uh, And I think that there was like a, a moment there in the draft room or maybe outside of the draft draft room where I forget who it was, so Pete, someone had to talk to Pete. I think it was somebody that had to talk to Pete and be like, "Hey, you're you need to listen to John, or like make John feel like his input matters to you. You know, especially when it comes to the quarterback position. Like, if not, you might lose this guy. Like, you need to you need to defer you know, to to your guys a little bit more. Specifically, John, I believe, was the sentiment expressed, and they ended up taking Russell. Um, and that was a moment where they're like, "Yeah, John probably didn't tell Pete what to do." You know, or anything, probably just deferred, you know, making that conscious decision on his own, or maybe someone gives him a push. That could be what's happening now, where it's not as much as Jody said, "Hey, John's the boss now, Pete," or as much as like maybe Pete himself or with Jody pushing, or whoever. You're like, look, you guys are a team for a reason. You know, you can defer to your guy, and I think I I'm pretty confident say with the Bobby one, he probably deferred. Like, if it was up to Pete, Bobby would be on the roster, pretty sure, just solely. But that may be an example of the power wasn't necessarily stripped as much. It was like voluntarily deferred to the companion. That's probably more likely than any like actual beef for a mandate. Cause it's hard to, I tell my homies this all the time. It was hard to get people to buy into an idea if they know it originated from someone else. It's like the movie Inception, which is one of my favorites. Like they have to, Some people are more bought into a move when they feel like it originated from them. Right, so I, if Jody can tell Pete, listen to John, listen to John, listen to John, listen to John, Pete's not going to really do it until he in his own mind is like, I need to listen to John. Mm-hmm. Like Jody says, listen to John. is not as powerful as Pete saying, I need to listen to John. I think it's like a brain thing. So I think that, and that's the case with ev- everybody. I think whether it's like you getting advice from a brother or, or a spouse or whatever, a parent, to child, like ideas are just stronger when you feel like you formulated them on your own. Uh, so I, I, th- because I just psychoanalyze Pete in that way, that would be my guess more than like someone like just actually mandated it. Because it, if you listen to Pete, Pete believes in what's going on right now. He believes that him and John, I got the draft picks and the, the offense is going to run and Drew, Drew Locke can throw it and the defense is going to be stout. Like he believes all this stuff. Like I hope no one thinks he's blowing smoke because he's not. Um, he does. I think you can only talk like that and believe it if you origin like you are for these ideas sincerely he would not be this way if he was just spewing us John's vision. You know, I just don't think he, not at his age, he's not going to, he could not do that. I don't think he's wired that way to just be like puppeting somebody else's ideas, so to speak. Yeah. um, You
0: mentioned that the Earl decision was made what, 18 months, two years before he actually left the team because of like, they just weren't going to pay him. Did that? That's basically what Bobby and Russ is. Cause they weren't going to pay Russell Wilson again because of, whatever reason, getting too expensive in the QB market. And Bobby, they didn't feel comfortable paying him $60 million a year. That's basically
2: what's happened again, isn't it, with these two? Yeah, and it happens with a lot of guys. I mean, I think John John said it before that he, like, thinks two years out. I can't remember when he said it, but I know he said that before. Like, you got a plan, like, two years out of the time for the most part. Maybe it might have said even three years. So you know kind of who you're going to pay and what the budget will look like Like they knew in, like for example, they know right now how much they're willing to pay DK, right? Now they that might not actually have to come to terms with that until next March in theory, but they know right now what the what their number would like to be. They knew they knew with Frank ahead of the twenty eighteen season, they knew with Tyler Lockett ahead of the twenty eighteen season, which is why they paid Tyler, you know, and chose not to pay Frank. Um, that year they I think they paid Justin Britt, um, and chose. Uh, you know, like they they know ahead of time whether it's Justin Coleman or Byron Maxwell or some other guys who've got paid. DJ Reed, Kill Griffin, they always know. You you have a plan. Now sometimes a guy can surprise you and he just goes off, right? Like he has a Rashad Penny kind of run there. But by and large, you usually know, like, hey, this is where our budget looks like. Because it just, I mean, at the end of the day, we want them to be humanized, but they're line items. Essentially, the players are like you're you're a guy on the spreadsheet you cost a certain amount. Like, yeah, that's that's how they have to view you. So they know ahead of time. And they factor in like leadership and all that. And you, you know you, you scout the draft and the free agent market, like you do all these things to assess replaceability. Um, it just hasn't gone well for these guys. That's the thing. They've planned ahead <laughs> and it just has not worked. Like, look, listen, all these guys are just rattled <laughs> off. How many, you know, last time they lost a guy and like adequately replaced him? The, the best case is probably Doug. You know because they drafted dk that same day they found you know the doug uh, retirement leaked i think it was Schefter. like other than that like the ability to replace some of their core guys has just been awful i guess you can maybe argue cliff or or might be like because they had frank already like waiting in the wings other than that though it's 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 been very tough for them to replace their studs you know in the draft or free agency or even via trade
1: i mean Fans require a splash to be excited, maybe more than, you know, people within the game expect. But, you know, Bobby and Russ get dealt five days before free agency starts. And a lot of people are saying, well, look, they've got all this cap space. They've got all these draft picks. Like the resources are there to build, maybe, you know, maybe go again and, and build in Pete's vision. And then those first few days of free agency happens and they just seem to do it again like bring the guys back and you wake up three days later it's like where the fuck's the money gone <laughs> like, oh yeah, we just have the same team <laughs> oh, i thought we had 60 <laughs> you did have 60 million and you fucking pissed it away on will disley um Stop. if uh, sorry Stuart. um if uh, as a fan who maybe isn't the most positive about the structure of what's going on and free agencies happened how could you win me back over to say, well, look, you know, they they have the plan because I don't know the first opportunity they had to, to win me back. They just hung me out to dry again. Sorry. Steve. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that, that goes to, I mean, the, the believing,
2: this whole thing is a, just a gamble on Pete. It really is where, where you fall on how much do you believe in Pete? I should maybe do a poll. On. Actually I did, I did, but I didn't, maybe need to update it. Cause I don't know if I've, I don't know if I did one after the rust trade, but um I've been trying to tell people this for quite some time now. Because when Russ's second deal came, or his, the deal he's currently on now, when it was time to extend him, there's a lot of arguments there about the quarterback taking up a certain amount of money and how that impacts the ability to build the roster. I just kept telling people, like, guys, you have way too much faith in what John and Pete would do with cap space. Like, You just do. Like, You can give them $100 million and they're going to spend like 50 of it. And it's not even gonna be on the guys you want. You know, like it doesn't mean they'll spend the whole 90. Like, even now, there's something like 15, I believe, or 13, or something like that. Like there, I never thought. Now I know a lot of people did, you're right, Adam. But I just think a lot I never thought that based on their how they do free agency that if you gave Pete and John $100 million, they'd bring me back a Super Bowl contender. No, they would bargain shop and eat like 80 million of that, you know, just in case there's a disgruntled guy on like the Bengals so that they can trade for. Like, I think that they've been doing that for so long. I don't know how people would catch up on that. Like, when's the last time they went out and spent big? No, even the Percy Harvin deal was like a six-year deal, but that was after trading for him. right? I've known that. So even in 2019, when everyone was like, well, Mike, what if we just don't pay Russ, draft another quarterback? Now we got X amount of dollars to spend. It's like, well, in theory, yes, and that's why that argument was so hard to refute because in theory, it's correct only if you spend it wisely. And if you're not going to, then it, giving you a hundred is having a hundred is no different than having ten. If you if you're going to spend it a certain way, so like. It, I feel bad for people who were hoping that, like, oh, we got rid of Russ, now we have money. No, they probably they probably netted like a million dollars in savings on that. You saved a million on Russ, but you take on Shelby Harris's salary. I think he was he's at like seven and a half. Drew Locke's at about one point four. Noah's around the same. That math comes damn near out to a million bucks. So you 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 got rid of your quarterback and gained no money. <laughs> like that, that is absurd to me. That that's how that the math basically calculated on that now cutting Bobby saved 16 um, so that and then they're basically just sitting on that same 16 right now (laughs) haven't spent it still got about 16 million (laughs) right now to spend you know so I I, the the only way to answer your question to sell all right come back on the bandwagon is that these guys that Pete can do it again Pete and John can do it again that's all you got left is that they did it once they can do it again that's the only sell although the fatal flaw in that is they've been trying to rebuild it for years and have been failing so there's no good argument as to why it would suddenly start working now like talk, take every draft from 2017 to 2020 they were trying to rebuild the team with cheap talent and failed yeah. miserably <laughs> um, at some very key positions uh that's kind of how we are where we are now so yeah, it's really hard to sell you basically just got to blindly believe in Pete. There's nothing about the offensive philosophy, the current state of the roster, the the draft pick history. Like, there's 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 quite literally nothing strong to suggest that this is going to get turned around immediately. Because if it was going to get turned around immediately, it would have got turned around three three or four drafts ago. Yeah, there's no reason to suggest it's going to get better right now.
0: So it's all that uh, it's all that like the cocktail, the recipe for why if DK is in Green Bay within. The- in June that V-Mark, as you tweeted a couple of years ago, is going to be v version of January 6th.
2: I don't think they'll trade DK. Um, I think the differences between the DK situation and the Frank, the Frank Clark situation are very important. One of them being that Frank was already on the tag tags are expensive and there's no flexibility in a franchise tag. Like Frank is just going to cost 17 million. That's it. You can't like toy with the cap numbers. No, it's just 17 that's it. DK is costing two or 3 million or whatever it is. Um, It's a huge difference in percentage of the cap, like four times as much in terms of percentage of the cap relative to those those years. Um, So I don't, I don't think they'll trade him. Um, I could, I could see a world where they was obviously going to trade Russ could see a world where they let DJ Reed go could see a world where they got rid of Bobby. Like all of those things I could kind of foresee the DK one. I just can't, there's just no way to really rationalize that he's too young, too good. He's only twenty-four. Like DK is twenty-four. He's the youngest guy of those four dudes. All up for extensions: DJ, uh, uh, AJ Brown, Debo Samuel, Terry McLaurin. Like Terry turns like twenty-seven in September. I think Debo is already twenty-six. I think AJ Brown's about to turn twenty-six. DK is twenty-four. Twenty-four, just as good as all those dudes. And unless the unless the Jaguars call you with the number one pick, I just don't really see the value in it and i also think that the reason i tweeted that january 6th thing is that there won't just be beef among the fans that's not even what i meant people in the building will stop believing in the vision if you trade dk they will i mean quandary diggs then already came out and said it like he said if he gone i'm gone too like J said that out loud on twitter it was verified account like imagine all the other people who feel very similar you know who signed up here thinking that they're gonna win and you trade off dk metcalf and you're like wait you sure we're supposed to win? <laughs> because play, NFL players are not here for rebuilds. Because the guys who are usually there while you're rebuilding aren't there when it's rebuilt. They're gone. You know, so no, no, no player is here to out there go risk CTE just so some kids who are in uh, at some seven on seven camps right now can take my job in two years. Like none, none of them want to do that. So rebuilds are hard to sell within the building. So I think that that's why I tweeted that about January 6th you're going to get some coaches and some players knocking on the door like what the hell what are we doing cuz if you're a coach too like if if you're assistant coach trade dk hey man we're all going to get fired too <laughs> that's the thing you know as well especially you talk about minority assistant coaches like it's already hard enough for us to get gigs like yeah you're trading our good players cutting the other ones well, damn man i'm gonna need a job in january so i think that's what that's more of that than what i think the fans bitch and moan about stuff all the time there's not any consequences when you got people in the building upset which is what would happen if you trade dk that's where you get people losing faith in the vision
1: yeah i mean it's and like for the let's call them the kool-aid brigade just because it's a nice little uh catchy catchy term like it's funny how people like, well, now Russell Wilson's gone. Now Pete Carroll can build a team in his image that he wants, which is just so counterintuitive. It's like, now we've got rid of all the good players, we can get good again. Like, what you've had seven years of like world class players in every position, you now have maybe two, and you're more hopeful now. It just doesn't compute in any way. Uh, yeah, I'm about to pull up.
2: Pull up all the draft. I'm gonna pull up the top 100 um, draft picks that the Seahawks have had since 20. What what year should we do?
1: What year should we start? Whenever you pull up the draft, we know you're choosing violence. So yeah.
0: Well, when did when did they first pay Russ? That's probably the time.
2: They paid uh, Russ ahead of the 20 ahead of the 2015 season. So after the Super Bowl 49. which that shouldn't even have been a debate. Like we just went to two Super Bowls together. Like, yeah, no, but that's when like, yeah. things changed when right? he's not
0: cheap anymore, he's.
2: The- so he was still relatively cheap that year. So the, the, I think that extension would not have kicked in until oh, like, okay. 2016. So let's go 2016 draft, <laughs> right? These are all of their, I, I, I arbitrarily use top 100. I just feel like that's a, that, that really just goes from rounds one to three. And I feel like that is the place where you should be getting contributors generally speaking like obviously it varies top you know pick 10 is should be better than pick 90 right but I've, in general top 100 picks should be so, you know contributors so, so let's go 2016 2016, go they ch- here. 2016 they traded for
0: jimmy didn't they uh no
2: 2015 no no yeah um so 2016 we're gonna go 2016 we're gonna go through 2020 um because the 2021 class is a super small and uh be small sample size on production all right top 100 picks jermaine Fetti, jaron reed cj precise nick Vanette, reese odiambo the next year malik mcdowell ethan Posick, shaquille griffin lane o'hill bonus for nazir jones being pick 102 um the next year rashad penny Rasheem green the next year lj collier marquise blair DK, Cody Barton. The next year, Jordan Brooks, Daryl Taylor, Damian Lewis. Now, the 2020 class might actually be all right with Jordan, Daryl, and, and, and Damian. But, like, as you can see, there's a lot of guys who just aren't either aren't even on the team anymore, never were really a starter. Like, like and I, liked, I like him, but a top 100 pick on Nick Vanette, that's not, you can't do that. You when they already had Jimmy Graham. Yes. And Luke Wilson, um, a top, a top 100 pick on Lano Hill. Can't do it. Can't do that. Top, a top 60 pick on Ethan Posick. Can't do it. These are all in the last few years. I like all these guys too. Like this is not like a personal thing. I'm just as an, as an asset, like I said, sometimes you have to look at the business side of it, it's like a line item, like top, top, top 100 pick on Cody Barton. He started two games at the business he's supposed to play in three years,
1: you know, and then I had someone I don't know if you heard like, oh, though, Mike. He, he, I don't know if you heard that he's now a world class player who can start inside yeah. linebacker. So that's all fine.
2: And he might actually be five. No idea. You know why? Because he spent three years not playing. Um, <laughs> and then and somebody actually tweet somebody tweeted me. and I was like, well, Mike, he sat behind Cody, he sat behind KJ and Bobby Wagner. Well, I was like, well, that wasn't news when they drafted him either. <laughs> like those guys were still there like it's their job to find guys if if you're going to take a guy find a guy who could beat him out that's your job as a scouting department so i just feel like while that is important context at the same time it's like well don't draft a guy then if you know you got two studs ahead of him and he's never going to play what what's the point of that uh so i just think when you read those top 100 guys like that's where you kind of all right if we're going to get this right give me a bunch of top 100 picks like right now i think they have how many one two three four in this draft and then it's four at least year. five. At least, yeah, because they've got it. They'll have another first next year. Uh, two so, ones, and then two another twos, first. and a three. Yeah. So yeah, that's 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 where you're supposed to figure this out. It's like, guys, you've had those picks. Every guy in this name was top one hundred. Here's the type of picks you trade for.
1: Also, in, in the August of every one of Pro those years. In that. In the August end of every one of those years, they were so upset with their draft that they had to trade for someone to fill the holes they hadn't filled already.
2: Correct. You get a lot of overcorrecting, or overpaying. Now the Quandre trade was fine; that was a great trade in pretty much every sense. But you had to make it because Tedrick and Leno didn't work out. That's the that's the problem with doing that. You had to trade for Jamal because Leno and Tedrick didn't work out, and Marquise Blair as well. Like. I like the, the, those are good players that you acquired, but you had to get Carlos because LJ didn't become the guy or because Rasheem green didn't become the guy like you had, or, you know, because you had to trade for Sheldon Richardson because Malik, Malik McDowell crashed his face. You had to trade for Dwayne Brown because George Fant and Reese Odiombo didn't pan out like that. That's not a good front office to me. You just keep having to fix your own mistakes. Like what is that? So, uh, I, this, It's so hard to just believe in the vision When there's just so much ev- Now the draft is not everything But it is the main way to rebuild You can't rebuild in free agency You can like fill holes in free agency But you get your sh- core In the draft And if you can't nail that then why should I trust you Yeah like the Bengals went from
0: Punchline to the Super Bowl with two draft picks Basically Jamar
2: and Joe And they filled some holes in this last free agency yeah. Um but they they got some core guys in the draft. You got to hit you got to hit the draft cuz the draft the rookie Wade scale, I don't think people realize the rookie Wade scale is so crazy. These guys are basically coming in on like salaries that are equivalent to flipping burgers in terms of the NFL. Like I saw someone I saw someone tweet this the other day. They was like whatever the it was like the 4th overall pick this year and they they tweeted a chart like if it depending on what position that is, here's where he'll be ranked in terms of average annual salary at his position. And it was like, if it's a quarterback, he'll be like the 38th highest paid quarterback or something like that. If he's a receiver, he'll be like 31st or something. I, I, I can't remember. I got to fi- maybe find a tweet and show you guys, but the idea was to show how cheap a rookie deal is even for a first rounder. I think it was a first rounder, but either way, the point still remains. Like uh, I tweeted or I had, a, I did a mock draft i had them taking abraham lucas from washington state with like pick 72 right or even if we use kyler gordon from washington at uh, pick 41 who also i had in that mock if kyler gordon is up being a starting corner at pick 41 his average salary will make him like the brokest starting quarter in the league for four years that's crazy. now obviously that's bad for kyler but in terms of like a team building that's a, that's insane that's insane shaquille griffin was costing them nothing and he was a starter that is how you build. And if you have to fill in holes with expensive vets, then you'll eventually get fired there too. To kind
1: of put a bow on, on stuff, like in terms of where the Seahawks are, if if we wound back to October and, you know, put a video on and said, hey, by the way, guys, in uh, April the 4th, April the 5th, this is where the Seahawks going to be, you know, six months down the line, no Bobby, no Russ, load of picks, squandered free agency again in the main. Like, can you believe that we're here from where we were, and like that they've chosen to do this? Yeah, an
2: and I should say, I should say they. It's really just kind of a Jody and uh, whatever the other guy is over there. I think Bert. Um, you while know, like you said, the the uh, Vulcan is an active choice on their part to believe in Pete and John. You know, I thought that was a very telling quote. And this quote, um, this will either be like the thing that gets both Pete and John like statues outside of Lumen Field or like is the is the kiss of death for them. Is that is John's remark or I think it was Pete's that Jody kind of both told both of them like, hey, you know, John, you're in your wheelhouse now. You have to trade and rest. You got picks. You're getting younger. And same thing with you, Pete. You're in your wheelhouse now. Team's a little younger. You know, like you're kind of starting fresh a little bit that is terrifying for me for you guys to be in your wheelhouse right to think you're in your wheelhouse now when I'm rattling off all these picks that you guys had there was your wheelhouse right there there was your time to get younger and use the picks to better the team and you didn't so like that wheelhouse thing is like kind of how they're viewing this like no okay now we're in our bag now now we're kind of back closer to college where when Pete tells some story he's been telling for years there ain't half the room ain't heard it already because it's so new and like he can kind of inject life into some of the new guys and get younger or whatever. Like I can see why they're like, yeah, this is, this is more of our, this is where we need to be or where we want to be, where we feel most comfortable. Boy, that is dangerous, dangerous because it's not, it's it's just like, it's very similar in college. It's not like you need to start fresh with a new class. You get 25 new scholarships every year. If you're not filling them with guys, that's on you, you know? So I, I think the same thing in the draft and for agency and all that. Like, yeah, I can believe it because I can see Jody buying into that vision. Um, you're you're kind of seeing a similar, it's turning a little bit, but you're kind of seeing a similar kind of franchise arc over it in the NBA with the Portland Trailblazers. Mm. They were kind of stuck in the mud too there for a little bit. Had a franchise icon, was like, I'm trying to win. You know, had a roster that could get close, but not really win. Like, they're very similar. Same thing with their coach, Terry Stotts. Now they changed some more things over there, so it's not a complete one-to-one comparison. But yeah, because of the Blazers, I actually—if you'd ask me in October—like, yeah, I could see Jody. Yeah, I could see Jody buying in that um, for better or worse, and we'll see. Like, I actually hope it works out. I know I sound really cynical, but like, I'm also just kind of a realist. Like, there's a lot of predictive elements of this business, you know, draft success, philosophy, process. You know, everything is not just the results. It's not just that Pete and John and Russ won a lot of games. Like, how did you go about that? And what part of that is predictive going forward? You know, like not a lot of that was predictive, you know, it was the answer, which is why they kept having, they kept having to basically rely on close scores to win a lot of those games. You know, people don't like a lot of the numbers and stuff. In some cases, I know people in Seattle do, but like point differential matters, you know, people kept trying to tell us that when the Seahawks were making the playoffs with like a single digit point differential <laughs> or something like that. And we're like, hey, guys, maybe they're not that good. And the Seahawks were like, well, we won 10 games. I was like, well, yeah, but like, I think the back best way I the can get that. Right. Yeah, I was telling one of the homies at the owners meetings, um, we were talking about, about this exact thing. And I was like, your record tells me more of what happened versus your point differential tells me a little bit more about what is likely to happen. Uh, and I think that that's why I like to use both things. Like you, I think Pittsburgh just made the playoffs like a negative point differential or something like that. And of course they got, they got the boat raced, right? Because it was their, their point differential was predictive. Their win, their win loss record just told me what happened in the past. So yeah, like I could see Jody kind of buying into some of the, the faith in Pete and John, um, especially if Russ wanted out too. Um, I guess like, as we've seen they had no problem pinning all that shit on russ which i also <laughs> thought was a very weak move on their part like you didn't need to do that you can just wish russ the best move on instead they were like nah it's his fault you know so <laughs> the people who wrote those three statements saying it was his fault yeah i could kind of see how they bought into this new vision of pete and john rebuilding this whole thing yeah i uh, said so
0: at the start that um you jumping back on with us was delayed by your uh trip to Florida, but also before that, it was delayed because you had a you had a, a, a appointment with Colin Kaepernick and his quest, continuing quest to get back into the league as a backup or starting quarterback in the league. How was, how at what one? How did that come about? And two, how was that to, to watch someone? Yeah, I mean, he should be in the league. Probably, you should be covering him come the September, shouldn't you? Really.
2: Yeah. Well, there's a few elements of this one. I think Pete is really like, it's not gaslighting, but it's a weird, there's a word for it, what he's doing to just constantly say that Colin should be given a second chance to be in the league and him being in the position to get him back in the league (laughs) and then just not doing it. I don't know if that's like, I don't know if it's like pandering or condescending. It's some big word that like describes what Pete is doing for me. It's just kind of annoying. You know, if I was unemployed, you know, and someone and there was just this editor at this newspaper being like, "Yeah, you know that Michael Sean, he can really write his ass <laughs> off." You know, like someone should hire him to cover the NFL. And it's like you're a hiring manager. What are you doing? Like, come on, I'm here. You know, that's what Pete's doing. It's just really weird. It's like really annoying. And if you apply it to another profession, you, that dude would get cussed out, or you just you would call it dude like, "Dude, if you're not gonna hire me, shut up," right? Because like what's the point so there's there's that part uh how did that come about uh I, I just got invited up to the the workout um by his people i wasn't the only one there it was me bob condo at other times was there um I'm trying to think some tv people were there i think alan at king five maybe the uh the como people i'm not really sure after that but that was that was pretty cool it was like it was almost like seeing a ghost You know like he's just he's he's just existed in this online space Mm -hmm. you know for so long and you just never really see any he he doesn't do a lot of media although you kind of see and hear about him everywhere Mm -hmm. so um it's it it it, it was kind of spooky at first it was like real quiet in there and, and you got to see him throw and it was just like man this is such this is so criminal like what's going on here is so 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 wrong it was it just didn't like, what the, what, not what's going on at the session, but what the league or what the owners are, are doing, man. It is just so, it was so bad. I will say this the fun, the fun part was watching it, you know, um, getting to meet Colin, um, you know, when I, uh, when the press conference started, because he, he didn't, we didn't know if he was going to talk. So he came over at the end, kind of bunched up around all the reporters. And he was like, shaking his hand, shaking everyone's hand, like, hey, I'm Colin going down the line, which is really nice. I love when famous people still feel the need to introduce themselves. You know, like the one time I've met Sierra formally, she introduced herself. And I'm just like, I know who you are. I've known who you are since I was 12. Um, <laughs> but so Co- Colin's doing that. He gets to me and he pauses and he's like, he's looking at me very puzzled almost like we know each other from somewhere and he's like he's pointing and I'm like oh damn did I say something like what is that what is somebody at the athletic right because I get worried about that sometimes too um and then he says did you run a 40 yesterday uh <laughs> and I was just like oh that's what he's done yes <laughs> yes, I did. yes I did he was like he was like yeah I saw that uh, yeah he ran i was like yeah i ran a, you know 485 you know not bad he was like yeah that was nice and, I, and then we just started the press conference but and then i talked to him a little bit after as well um kind of talked to him about uh some stuff but yeah that that whole part of it was interesting and fun um because like this doesn't matter in the short term but i'm very proud of being on the right side of history here like i'm recognizing it in real time like <laughs> 30, 40, 50 years from now, people are going to look back and, like, dig up old columns and TV segments where, you know, where you got the Will Canes of the world and, like, Fox News people who are just going to look so idiotic. They already do, but you know how history goes. Like, they're just going to look so, it's like people who weren't rocking with, like, MLK in the 60s. Like, you pull up some of that stuff now, you'll be like, what? You said what now? Uh, Like, I'm very proud of that. I know, and I know I am, too. Like, I'm very, like, proud to be on the right side of that, you know, because, man, this guy deserves a shot. And now everyone has all these reasons why he shouldn't be in the league and or why he just shouldn't even get a shot. That's the other thing. I don't give him a shot. I want somebody to just come in, have him throw to some practice squad guy. If he can't hit the broad side of a barn, you don't sign him. No harm, no foul. It's really not that difficult. Um, like, that. that's the really frustrating part about that. Like, he doesn't even want – he doesn't – I know I've spoken to him, his people. He's not coming in demanding, like, I got to start. It's like, just do, just come in, have me come into your facility and watch me throw. Do that. That's it. That's all that. The fact that you can't even get that, and people are like, oh, Blaine Gabbert It's like, ah, makes you want to just punch people online.
0: I mean, um, it's quite impressive. It took you an hour, Mike, to mention you're 40.
2: <laughs> I'm trying not to brag about the 40 time. <laughs> I only really bring it up when other people bring it up <laughs> because I, I knew I was going to run the fastest time. I, I had the tide for the fastest time with a uh, Chris Whitehead. He's a PR guy. Um, uh he works for the Seahawks. He's the homie. Um, shout out Chris. Uh, he, he also ran a four, eight, five, but like, yeah, I knew I was, as soon as I walked in, Michael Bumpus was like, yeah, man, I got my money on you, Mike. I'm Like, yeah. And that's a former <laughs> NFL guy receiver, you know, like, if he believes that I'm fast, he's never seen me do anything. And yeah, then he, then, you know, he, he knows what's up. I did. Yeah. I felt good about it. I'm glad they posted the actual video. They should have posted that before Quandre Diggs was hating. Uh, Cause that was, he knows. <laughs> I, uh, 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 I just wish Quandre had seen the whole video before he was hating on that Zoom call. Cause I don't know if you guys remember, you guys remember when um I think it was Adam Jude, the uh, Seattle times mentioned something to DK and DK like challenged Adam to a race. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, I'll give you a 50 yard head start. And uh and I think Adam was like, Yeah, all right, let's do it, or something like that. And then Quandre came up next on the podium, was like, Yeah, nah, DK will smoke you and under those circumstances, talking to Adam. I remember getting in the media room and being like, doing the math on it. I'm like, what the hell? Adam, you'll kick
1: his ass.
2: <laughs> a 50 yard head start in a hundred meter race? That was absurd. And I remember telling Quandre that on the practice field, being like, hey. You know, if you give me a hundred yards, any of you guys give me a hundred, a fifty yards head start in a hundred yard race, I will beat all of you badly. He was like, "You're drunk." I'm like, "No, I promise you, I'm not." Like, I will. I was like, "I can do the last." I didn't tell him this, but I like, I'll tell anybody within earshot. I can do the last ten yards of that backwards and beat DK under the. Think about that. He runs a hundred yards in ten three, right? Ten. I only have to run. I just ran forty yards in four eight. Like, of course I'm good. What? That's ridiculous 50 yard head start like do the math on it like he has to be twice as fast as his hundred time to beat me that's absurd uh so yeah i tried only time i bring it up is literally when provoked uh because mostly everybody's been showing love people didn't realize i was that fast meanwhile shout out to homie chris Kid. chris has always known you know me and him play flag football together every saturday and now sunday like i've always known i can i can move uh but yeah the pr guy brought it up today actually uh i think uh Brady Henderson asked, Noah Fant "What's the fastest 40 he's ever run. That's been verified. And the, Noah answered it. And the PR guy was like, yeah, I don't know if Michael Sean's 40 was verified. Uh, just kind of joking. <laughs> well, it's just let it rock. It's hard to beat, <laughs> hard to beat, <laughs> hard to beat 485, man.
1: It's just, just saying, it's, it's, it's hard to beat that. So back on the previous thing. Did you speak to, have you spoken to Colin since or about that Michigan workout? Because I've seen some clips of it. And. I found it really uncomfortable viewing. Um, I don't know. There's something different when there's fans in the stands, and it almost seems like a circus act. It, it not, it, it, not patronising from Michigan. I think what they're trying to do is is well meant, well meaning, well meant. But I don't know. It felt a bit like a circus act watching him out there do it, like desperate, and not being his fault at all.
2: Yeah, patronising is probably the good word for what Pete's doing. Actually, now that you mentioned that, that's. Pr- that might be the better way to, to say that. Yes and no. I only know just because I I know that Colin wants people to see what he can do. Mm-hmm. Because he can't get that private workout. He wants to do it publicly and kind of like, excuse me, kind of like shift the perception. It's like, oh, he stinks. He stinks. He stinks. Well, it's like, look, guys, you can watch every throw. Look, I'll throw in front of you people. I'll do whatever you need me to do. Like, he's he's got really nothing left. Working out in private is not doing anything for him holding these private workouts and then posting them later is not do really doing them much either. So now it's like, all right, come on, everybody can just come watch me throw at this point. Um, so yeah, it is a little, it it just, as I haven't talked to him or his people about that I was, I didn't even watch the Michigan thing. I was really busy doing something. Um, at that time, I haven't been able to find a video of it and I've been really busy with a bunch of other stuff too, but just the idea that like, he even has to do that. I think I tweeted is very disheartening Mm -hmm. on top of something else I tweeted, like, the NFL really forgives everything else. There, hmm. I really don't think there's anything else you can do, like to get out of the NFL, short mm-hmm. of going to prison. Like, and even then, once you get out, they might bring you right back. You know, it's like you can keep, people have killed people, uh, whether intentionally or whatever. Uh, you get people have killed people. Um, I'm pretty sure a dude from the Colts killed two people and got in the Hall of Fame. A uh, receiver from the Colts, but like you can do anything, Marvin Harrison. Google Marvin Harrison if you guys don't know. Like,
1: pretty sure he killed two people. Mm-hmm. Like, if Henry of, out of jail, If Henry mm-hmm. Ruggins gets out of jail in like two to three years, he'll get a workout with someone.
2: Yeah, he'll be like 26 or yeah. something like that. If that, yeah, like, the fact that there's, the NFL has had a track record of letting people do anything. Rape allegations, um, murder, assault, guns, drugs, soliciting prostitutes, anything. Like, you can do all this stuff, and we'll give you another shot. You know, Joe Mixon knocked that chick out cold on camera when he was at uh I forget what school he went to, um like Oklahoma. Oklahoma uh, got drafted like the third round. Team signs him to you know a, a big deal after. Not to say Joe deserved to get his money or whatever, but it's like the fact that you can do that and any all is forgiven until you start standing up for black people, and it's just crazy, crazy that that's. You you do that in any industry, but to do that in an industry industry where you're marketing black people and making billions off what black people can do, it's like, god damn, man. Like they're they're it's all just saying the quiet part out loud, man. So I don't think Colin Colin ever play again in the NFL, which stinks. Because what's what's being done to him is like wrong on like seventeen different levels.
0: Uh yeah, yeah, no, I I think me and completely agree. I do think you should be well, yeah, he should be in the league, but probably should be uh, in Seattle. I think Ray Rice is the only probably other one who's not in the league for anything else,
2: but that might be because he was, in a weird way, the first averaging, one. He was averaging three yards a carry at the time. That's that's why he's not in the league. He was yeah. like 30 at the time or close yeah. to it, averaging three yards a carry. He was averaging four and a half. And then you got to be back in, back in the league. And you got teams giving up 17 draft picks for Tyreek Hill as well.
0: Shit. He's yeah, there's just, there's
2: just accusations are tougher um, mm-hmm. just because like it, I, I get why you can't necessarily because because we, we don't really believe in any organization to do the right thing, like whether it's the legal system or an employer, it all comes down to like public opinion. And then that can get like murky, especially if you're just accused of something like who decides what's a credible accusation. You know, like, was Jaron Reed's? He got suspended for six games. Um, was, was is Deshaun's? He hasn't been suspended for anything. Like, credible becomes just, like, what you personally think, and that gets tricky. But, like, if I watch you do something bad, if I watch you kick somebody, if I know the person you hit with your car is dead or injured, um, if I you got caught selling the drugs, if you were driving around with a machine gun and sticking out of your backpack, like, all these things are irrefutable, and you can still... In the league, it's like that's just 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 wild to me. Like the NFL really will excuse anything, you know, unless yeah, you're like, hey, hey, wait a minute, you know, maybe racism is bad. It's like, hey, (laughs) hey, shut your mouth, (laughs) get out. Even even you guys see that report from Schefter about the uh, Pete Carroll standing up in the owners' meetings and being like, hey, this hiring stuff is bullshit. How we're doing Mm -hmm. this, and the 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 real nugget from that is that. The owners were upset that he said that. That's the real problem right there. Like, what do you mean you guys are upset? He's saying the truth. You know, like you guys, you guys need to be called out because your hiring practices are bullshit. And if they're like, hey, Pete, sit down, man, chill out. Well, then there's (laughs) the problem right there. Yeah. Like that, that's the problem. I think we might have a story by the time this comes out. We might have a story on The Athletic about that uh, because we we heard that, too. Um, but, But yeah, like just even that. Hey, guys, let's start hiring more black people and women. Hey, nah, 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 Pete, chill out. What? <laughs> Here's the problem with the NFL right there in a nutshell. It's insane.
0: Any thoughts on the will spend the bend we'll quick. Could no, I think it's good, man. I think
1: we can probably hold our heads up high, Stew. if you check the tape from four, five years ago on the Kaepernick thing. And I think we'll be joining you on the right side of history, Mike, with that because I'm pretty sure we we called that out for the bullshit that it was from, from day one. So uh, yeah, we don't get everything right on here, but I'm pretty sure that anything morality like that, we can uh, – uh, we can hold our heads up on that one,
0: and also we said that Russell Wilson would be Bronco in 2022. I we think i did say that over a find year it. ago. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, we kept yeah, the receipts. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere oh, on yeah? Pod, yeah, 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 uh, somewhere on Podbean. and Spotify um, and iTunes from like June
2: maybe last year.
0: Yeah,
2: we were in full meltdown oh, mode last ball. year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean it, it was bad
0: last year. So I hear you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We didn't. Yeah, we we just like basked in the Doug Baldwin glow for six months because it was yeah, it wasn't fun. Um, spin the bin, Adam. Anyone wants yeah, us do it? Let's I mean, do it. Uh, ESPN have paid Adam Schefter nine million dollars <laughs> in the shadow of him being in the pocket of. I mean, multiple agents with the Deshaun thing, with the
2: Dalvin Cook. That was the Chefs Dalvin Cook well. one is fireable. That would get you fired anywhere else. Yeah, if you and they that. give him nine million dollars in.
0: I'm guessing a relatively lengthy deal as well. If it's that much per year, and it's just like, like, you don't see a man lose his job, but. He's so high profile and he's got, had so many high profile missteps and just like it's like he's broken journal practice, isn't he? A few times in the last 18 months or so, and he might really like just how you how you would hope a fellow journalist would do things. Schefter, has, I know you've got
2: the whole journalist thing with Schefter, but it, it's... Uh, it- and I think that, yes, I think the problem is really bigger. I don't think I, I would very, actually very confidently say that I don't consider any of those guys. Um, Tom Palacero, Mike Groffolo, Ian Rappaport, Adam Scheft. I don't consider them journalists, just consider them NFL insiders, which is a bit way, which is attaches them, which kind of pulls away their like independence. Especially if you work for a legal network, like your independence is already stripped anyway, like the NFL is on your checks. Um so I think if we view them that way, it gets a little bit like, oh, okay, well, that's why you get to move how you move, which is fine. The Dalvin thing really pissed was like bad. I call that one firewall because like he just flat out said Dalvin was the victim of of domestic violence or uh, assault or whatever he said, and it like came out like very shortly after that. Not only was that just wrong, like Dalvin had like uh, allegedly uh, put his hands on the girl, and there were pictures to prove it. And it was like that's just that's just gross. Like that's the part where it's one thing if you like just like copy and paste a text an agent sent you. That's like a victimless thing. But like if if someone was assaulted in here and you just jump out the window taking sides, that's just that's just messed up. Uh, but yeah, once you view those guys as insiders, um, it's a, it's a little different. You just held to a different standard, you know. And there's some local people who do stuff like that too. I'll never be one of them, but. That yeah, it's a it's a weird game. It's the weird place the media is in right now. It all gets put into one. You know, there's all these spaces that aren't necessarily regulated. You know, when you're speaking on a podcast, are you reporting something? Are you not? Is it your opinion? Or do you still have to be independent if you're on a podcast? What if you're in Twitter spaces? What if you're on IG Live? What all these what what standards are you held to in this? Are you are you, you the opinion person? Are you the reporter person? You know, there's just so much so much gray area with all these new platforms you know and then all, now players have their own podcasts they go on and announce their own news and say their own opinions and things like that and then they can tell stories that may or may not be factually accurate and there's just so many all of it is kind of it's like the wild wild west it's not just like reporters have their info and then they can share it or not like it's it's a weird space but like it's a very rich space if you can do that on mm. tv but yeah, it's also, I think the ESPN thing is more like, like, you,
0: you, Bamani's having to get his opinions out on HBO. I think it was just a Showtime he shows on. You
2: no, got, it's you, HBO, yeah.
0: You got uh, Dan Labattard, he's just doing his own podcast, completely separate. And you got people that have let leave in that company, then they're rewarding just some shitty shit that he's been up to for last yeah. year. And it's just like...
2: I don't, th- and yes, but I don't even think that's, a re- it's a reflection more about like ESPN is the window into a bigger yeah. issue of just like sports media consumption. I just feel like we're just not in a great place as an industry. I just feel like people aren't, people w- We're asked to do too much, um, too much in terms of like what topics we tackle. Mm. Like we just, we really just kind of turned ba- basketball and football into year round cycles. And we've, we're just like, cycling the same teams, the same markets and the same players and the same conversations. And it's just not pushing any envelopes anywhere. And that's just making for a really ugly discourse. And then when it is time for something serious, when Naomi Staka doesn't want to do media anymore, when Deshaun Watson happens, when Colin Kaepernick happens, we're just ill-equipped because we've been arguing whether Bronner... Or MJ's the GOAT for 10 years. And <laughs> when something actually worthwhile comes, it's like, ah, ew, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Was that a noose in his uh thing in the NASCAR? I don't know. You know, like these are like legitimate topics. That's why Bomani's on this rise because he is equipped to handle all of those things. Uh because he's been doing them and, and sees value in them, not just debating whether like the Cowboys will make the playoffs for the umpteenth episode of insert show here. Mm-hmm. Like that's all we've become it's almost like a chicken and egg thing. Like, I bet you if I said that to a producer of a, a Fox or ESPN, or they'd be like, well, Mike, look at the numbers when we talk about the Cowboys. It's like, I feel you. But there's a way to put the candy in the medicine, I think. And I think, but money does that pretty well. A lot of people do, but like, yeah. we don't have enough, which is why the industry is just like, every time we turn on the TV, it's debating LeBron and <laughs> the Cowboys and the Lakers. And it's like, yeah, tired I mean, of that, you know?
0: Like, I, I, I didn't really notice it until I was in Seattle in December and turned TV on at like 9.30 And Stephen A. Smith is just screaming back at me. I was like, no, nah, come on. Like, it's half nine, <laughs> 9.30 in the morning, man. I don't, mean, <laughs> I don't know, like, it's the East Coast, West Coast thing, but like, he's actually doing it at like noon. So it's much more reasonable, but it's, it's a lot.
2: And it's what well, it's a screaming about, nothing that's important. And I think that's what's really like sports. Yeah. Meets, sports journalism has actually the idea, of, like, like there's a really interesting conversation to be had about like transgender athletes right now. It was like a really fascinating convo to be had. And we're just too busy talking about whether the Lakers are getting the play in. <laughs> you know, like it's, it, 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 there's, there's just a lot of women's sports in general. We just don't talk about on TV that much. not at all. There are people doing it. I shouldn't say that, but you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. largely NFL nba barely even any college you know until they like dominate the sport and, like the postseason runs it's very watered down industry you know And it doesn't have to be there's so much other fascinating stuff going around in sports yeah i mean i think we said it last time you're on mike but we've got like people like alex scott who's used to play
0: soccer over here she's everywhere she's on covering soccer but she's also covering like just daytime tv and she gets flack from all corners when she's just been given a job and she's doing it Pretty well, I think, but there's a. Uh, uh, Mike, you should probably Google Alex Scott, and maybe maybe understand what the. What, there's a there's a few uh, levels to explain why the criticism is coming her way, but um, but yeah, it's just yeah, it's uh, it started to happen over this side of the pond as well because, there's there's a lot more women talking about sports where women haven't been on the platform to talk about sports over here, as often and as commonly mm-hmm. as they are now. But uh, Adam, anyone for the bin? Did we ever put Michelle Tefoyer in the bin?
2: Don't think so. Oh my god! Wow. I mean, that was yeah. like
0: that was like twenty four hours. That was like Monday night football time that
1: she did a lot. No, I mean, she's going in the bin, and I'm kicking that bin down a fucking hill because. Wow. She... Yeah.
0: But it it wasn't just there, there's so
1: many layers to this one, it, but it, the, it wasn't the just
0: the one... Republican Party thing, was it? it? She doesn't want the what's the the thing they're trying to get rid of out Florida the schools? Yeah. The,
2: Oh, uh, Critical Race Theory? There
0: you go. Yeah, that's what
1: she's trying to yeah. like, fundraise against, isn't she? I mean, the <laughs> thing that I can't believe is that she was, I mean, basically her job, like, you know, she's pretty lucky to have earned as much money as she has done when her job in general has been running after a coach, you know, getting a sentence and just regurgitating on TV after <laughs> halftime, but fair plays. You know, it's good money if you can get it. But she had, like, blogs written and saved in her drafts that were basically hugely racist when she was covering the people she was criticizing the day before she released those blogs. And I don't know. I mean, that's like evil to me. Yeah. No, her and,
2: um, her and Will Kane, man, they did, they were like towing towing a line where at their previous employer. And then as soon as they got free, they just let it fly. Yeah. Like, Will Kane left ESPN and went straight to Fox News and was like, yep, here I am with the <laughs> stakes. Like and Michelle, Michelle wasted
1: was, no time. <laughs> she was talking to Megyn Kelly, like, when the field goal was still sailing through the uprights of the last playoff game. Um, like, she's evil. And to have been given such a platform and earned so much money covering people that she's now going to spend the next 20 years just – putting her foot on and trying to tread into the ground i i, I don't know i just it, it's borderline inhumane to me like
2: yeah no yeah but that that's a good i forgot i forgot all about her yeah oh, that man. was just a wild like little pivot that i just couldn't it just came out of nowhere too i don't pay attention to her that much so it was just yeah she just hopped out the window like <laughs> yo you got these takes you were ready to get these yep. to get these off oh man there's so many people to put in the bin these days can you do multiple people yeah we we can we can rent you out a catering size bin you can have a skip (laughs) you can do whatever you want oh man there's so many people i think um i think specifically for the kaepernick stuff i i would i think i think pete belongs in there i just don't think i just think it's even worse than Pete. the guys who just won't bring him in or won't talk about him like for you to just keep saying it when you are in position to give the guy a shot, like uh, that, I just I can't get down with that. I'd rather you just not say anything, mm. to be honest, because it looks like insincere. Um, it it really does.
1: Um, I mean, the Seahawks are pretty flush with really quarterbacks now, Mike. The Seahawks have, you know, that quarterback <laughs> is pretty deep. So Who it, it's understandable. Are our quarterbacks? Is it Jacob Eason and Drew Luck? Is that
0: yeah. it? That's There's it. Yeah. It's just Jacob
2: and, Jacob and Drew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah, Pete, Pete in there for that. Uh, I was watching the national title game in uh men's in college basketball the other day. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I told my friends about because uh, I had I had money on Kansas, but my, my homie had money on Kansas as well. But my other homie in the room had money on North Carolina. And, you know, all of us are black. So they were just like, hey, I'm rooting for. I'm kind of rooting for North Carolina as well, because Hubert Davis is black. Um, and I was like, you know, I feel you guys, but Do you remember Hugh Davis's intro? Huber Huber Davis's uh, introductory press conference, and they're like, "No, what are you talking about?" I was like, "Oh, well, let me play it for you." Uh, And that's of course the one where you know Hugh got asked about, or Hubert uh, got asked about, you know, being—he's either the first black coach in North Carolina history, or a very short number. He's either the first, or like, there's only like three or four others. Uh, And he gets asked about it, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, I'm very proud to be African American, but I'm also proud." that my wife is white, and I'm very proud that our kids are a combination of both of us. And I was just like, wait, what? It was just it, it, it was funny, obviously. But it's like the reason that I want to thought his team just lost to and won me money by losing. I would throw him in there for any, any person who can't be proud of their blackness without like associating associating white people to it. Like, I think that's really a big like issue Like Hubert, I don't know him, but that that says a lot about a dude. Like you can't even be proud to be black without mentioning someone white. That is scary, man. Like that's you had that I was, I I was fervently rooting for Kansas last (laughs) night. Damn the little bit of money I had on it. Like I was like, nah, man. That dude, I don't know. He needs to change his tone before. I don't want to tone police him, but like, yeah, that was that was really rough to watch. When I played it for my homies, they was like, whoa, all right. Rock chalk, <laughs> we, we all in there rooting for rooting for kids. Just, uh after after that, like I just think that, that in terms of I, I know both of my people in the bin is like semi tied to race, but yeah, like that's they just is blackness is on like my mind so much these days, and it's like people who can't get down with that it's just a strong fuck you <laughs> hard <laughs> like any anybody any like it's just those people are the ones that stick out my shelter for you to uh all, all these cats man like anybody who's like open all this coded language with stuff oh can i throw one more in there i'm throwing there i try not to do media people but mike florio as well um i just think whenever he critiques players who negotiate their own contracts he uses really coded language And it feels like an attack on their intelligence more than a critique of the contract itself, Um, which is like because you have all these black players doing it and you got this guy critiquing them, it just feels gross. So like, yeah, he can go he can go on there too. Uh, all of the all three, Pete, Hewitt and Mike for different reasons, but all rooted in a very similar reason. It's just like I just don't think they're they're getting down with blackness at the appropriate rate that I like uh, (laughs) right now. So, yeah, we got a three person bin today
0: was also a few months ago on the sort of along the Hubert line is, I mean, I think he's dealt with most of the questions. I think he's talking quite well about tour and everything, but Mike McDaniel, I think it was it Cameron Wolf who interviewed him about his comment because obviously he's. I think that might've been he's, the homie Marcel who's at ESPN. He's, he's mixed race, isn't he? Mike McDaniel And just how he, how he dealt with all that initially. I think he's kind of expanded on it a little bit since during the combine and stuff, but. That's kind of like along that same lines. It's not, he he's like he just called himself a human being, didn't he?
2: Yeah, the human being thing was a problem. His overall uncomfortableness with talking about having a black father and a white mom. I I understand that part. Like I I grew up with a lot of mixed kids. Like they they do be pretty lost out here, especially if they grew up and like you grew up with the black mom, but then you went to like some white schools or, or vice versa like it does mess you up a little bit like I, I do get that you don't really know who you identify with that's that's actually a, a pretty common plight uh but i think i think the the problem with our industry doing what we did there was that it was very similar to like when black coaches can't get jobs we just go ask the black coaches about it and it was like well stop asking me why i'm not getting hired i can't hire me right so it's like the people we should have been asking people who like who instituted the Rooney rule, like they should have been asked answering for Mike McDaniels sham of a diversity hire. Instead, we're asking Mike about it, and he can't control it. Like he can't control who his parents are. So I think that was the problem there. Like a Mike was really uncomfortable talking about it, Well, he could have just said what I just said, and he would have been fine. Uh, And then two, we were asking the wrong people. Uh, So like that was a weird part of the human being thing. I get what he's trying to do. But that's what happens when you like actively distance yourself from being black. Like it's it's we've and there's a, a long history of doing that you know I'm not black I'm OJ you know Tiger Woods calling himself like Blazian or whatever you know like there's a there's a history of people like actively choosing to not identify with their blackness which is like your choice but like we're gonna acknowledge you're making a choice Mike McDaniel is too that's his choice I don't really care I don't know him. But yeah, he. We should acknowledge he's making one. And if he is going to make that one, stop giving teams third round picks <laughs> for losing him. <laughs> That's the wild part. It's that. always
1: the 49ers as well. well uh, I'm, I'm going to say. I mean, you know, there is talk about Jews being considered in the BAME community. So, if someone wants to hire me and get a couple of third round picks for trading with someone else, <laughs> I am available, uh, and I will. I will take the job. Uh, on a, you know, I won't even ask for that much money. So you know, I can. I wouldn't trade Russell Wilson, you know, if you weren't mentally <laughs> <laughs> a manager. So yeah, I could do that. I, I have just seen a tweet that's that's alarmed me. From it's from a guy called, the account is Mike Dugar, and it's talking about hot dogs with cream oh, my cheese. My phone is and blowing cabbage. up about the hot dogs right
0: now. I, I, I was going to say it's news breaking because your 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 phone is vibrating. Yeah, my crazy. phone's
2: going crazy right now. Yeah, and okay.
0: Yeah, we do like to bring a
1: bit of food into the podcast every now and again. uh,
0: It's a Seattle hot dog, or Seattle dog.
1: I don't know what the. Yeah, Seattle dog. Yeah, it doesn't sound good. I thought this was a Chicago dog with the cream cheese and cabbage on it, but is that a Uh, uh, Seattle? I don't the Seattle one. Well, it says I've never seen a Seattle
2: dog with cabbage on it. uh, I don't know what's up with the cabbage part. I've never eaten cabbage on it. I don't eat cabbage at all. I've never seen cabbage on a Seattle hot dog. I just had one on Saturday. I've n- never seen cabbage, even at the stand. Like, they don't even <laughs> offer that. I don't know. What's up with the cabbage thing? Like, the one I had on a, on Saturday was, like, a chicken dog, because I don't eat pork. Um, it was, like, a chicken dog um, with cream cheese, uh, grilled onions. Is there anything else on there? I thought I had a picture of it, but I don't. Um, but, yeah, no. no ketchup, red
1: mustard, nothing?
2: No, I don't like ketchup. I, d- I don't think there's... The things that you would put ketchup on there's better sauces that would work like anything you name it's like oh i'm gonna put ketchup on this well there's something better you could put on there than ketchup you know that that's that's what it is i don't really think there's any food that ketchup actually makes taste better it just makes it taste like ketchup like i can't i can't even think of one that i mean means, I, like I,
1: if, if, I could i could really dive into some heavy food science <laughs> it, <but> it's twelve forty, <laughs> and now is not the time for it
2: um, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm. I'm probably. Get, I haven't. My phone's going crazy. I haven't really read anything. I just see it you, buzzing. You know, and like, you know uh, I sent.
1: You know, I sent you that article about umami about six months ago, Mike. Just read that, and that, yeah, that's the yeah. that's that's the ketchup explainer. Just read that one, and, and it will make it's more just, sense.
2: I really just put mostly ranch on mostly anything. Not anything, but like when I like a sauce, ranch, honey mustard are kind of my go tos. But like ketchup, if you ask me, if you ask Mike, you want some ketchup? Like hell no. It's just whatever you're asking me to put it on. I'm just like yeah. no. Uh, ketchup's not my go-to either i just can't think of anything it's it's, it's great on no. it's just kind of there um <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but seattle, i mean, I, fr- I fully endorse seattle dogs like i, I uh, uh my phone i'm probably gonna go back to my phone and be getting cooked uh <laughs> on here but i'm probably getting cooking <laughs> people who've never lived in seattle next time you guys come out here i will take you guys to uh capitol hill where they got the Seattle dogs. Uh, It's like where all the bars are in nightlife. I'm surprised we haven't been before, but um, I'll tell you guys up there, we can go to my favourite hot dog stand. I I got you guys. I think you'll like Uh, like it. Talking of uh, Transatlantic Travel, your guy Theo is
0: over the side of the pond Uh, next week, I think, he's hit us up on Twitter.
1: Oh, is he? Nice. Next next Wednesday, he's staying uh, staying, uh, in this very house. Next Wednesday, I believe
2: oh word that's dope oh, no, yeah man up, that's man. dope yeah Theo, theo's the homie man he just got yeah. done covering gonzaga for the first time man yeah, yeah. um and talking about travel uh lions
0: at lions VC Hooks at Tottenham Hotspur stadium in october sounds sounds nice does not it or like
2: 2023 uh, uh, that would be avoiding a trip to detroit yeah um <laughs> sure <laughs> i don't have any reason to go to detroit so yeah uh uh yes. I, I still want to keep the New Orleans trip, so I hope that's not over, over there. But like if it was Detroit, sure. Or Arizona, I need to go back to uh Phoenix. So yeah, one of those over there would be great.
0: Uh,
2: yeah, and also as Adam pointed
0: out on WhatsApp a few weeks ago, um Russell Wilson's another Seahawks player who played his last game for the Seahawks in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. Oh wow. <laughs> so yeah, no one Damn. needs to go back to Arizona. No, um, no, no. Not not uh, so uh, I'm sure everyone listening, all the follows and reads all your stuff. If if there's someone who's uh gone through the cracks, where can people catch your your musings, your opines, and your voice on a podcast?
2: Uh yeah, just go to my Twitter at Mike Dugar. It's a uh, it's a one-stop shop, man. My author page uh, that's in my bio has Every link to every athletic story and then my uh the podcast, the Seahawks Man to Man podcast always pinned to the top of the profile. So you really don't gotta go anywhere else. Just yeah. put them on Twitter. Even if you don't have a Twitter, just type it in. It'll pop right up. Boom. You get everything I do.
0: Yeah, Seahawks Man to Man that stole exclusivity over Doug Baldwin, and I've heard is stealing
2: exclusivity over another one of our Seahawks player guests. Uh I don't know if we're gonna do that one. Um Anymore we're like in full-on draft mode now. Um, so me you and know, Chris are grinding on draft. I'm actually going to watch some Malik Willis tape here tonight, maybe. Yeah, maybe. when if, I get finished with this Drew Lock footage.
0: Yeah, if like, it means absolutely nothing, it's my opinion. But if, if if they take a quarterback, I think it's Malik Willis or just fuck it all in 2022. I think. I've He's
2: I've so I've I've, uh, I've talked myself into the kid from Cincinnati for what that's worth. Okay. I think I think he can watching some of his tape. Like he he makes the throws that that he makes the throws that sean McVay wanted jared goff to make and when he wouldn't make them like he makes the throws that that's why all right we got stafford now like that that, that and then you don't have to throw a no look but they like that 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 uh that throw he made that was a no look in the super bowl it's really just like a dig behind the linebacker and that's just the throw that jared goff can't make um and russ doesn't really like throwing it either it's weird. I mean, Baker doesn't throw it either. Like, if you're not willing to basically hit a backside dig, you're not going to last in the NFL very long. And um, Desmond, he's got good vision. Um, so if they take him, I'd be cool. I haven't watched Corral or Kenny Pickett enough. So they're on my list after I finish Malik and Desmond.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, patreon.com for subscription possession podcast, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes uh shout out i know he gets some criticism pat mcafee is a fucking star that was incredible this weekend at wrestlemania the dude like he's uh, he's 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 34 years he's 34 i think 35 so he's basically a year older than me so his entry points to wrestling he was in the ring with in uh cowboy stadium it's just it's so fucking cool watching a guy just like yeah, it's it was it was insane to watch him. Like, like he he can he can do he can do that stuff as well. He can he can uh, choreograph, choreograph res, wrestling matches against uh 24 uh, year olds and then 76 year olds And the drop of a hat. Is yeah, he's he's a star. I know he gets some criticism for a lot of some of the things he does, but yeah, he's justifiably yeah. so. Some of yeah. that criticism, but yeah, 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 you're yeah. right, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I uh, think massive thanks always. Mike, we always enjoy having you on and taking your time out your busy schedule of
2: uh, Seattle Dogs and uh, quarterbacks from Cincinnati. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, appreciate you guys having me always. The bin is one of my favourite things. So I love getting <laughs> that part. <pipe. laughs> well, yeah, uh, yeah. Until, uh, in a few weeks, we're going to do a
0: draft thing for a few of the guys on Patreon. I think we're just going to uh, – well, my plan is just to drink and get drunk while – The Seahawks make picks for players who they're not going to give a second contract to. Um, Yeah, until next time, this has been the Pedestrian Podcast. That's
1: right.